we're in the Summer of Love. Um, it's a, a series that uh, we started a few weeks ago talking about God is love. Uh, that very simple thought. And we are going to continue this morning and in the weeks to come to chase this thought. What does that mean? That we, if God is love and we are called to be in God's kingdom, of God's image, living God's way, what does that look like? And today we come to possibly the most mysterious love that we are called to give, which is to love God himself. And so it's, um, it's quite a topic, uh, but with God's help uh, and with God's um, guidance, I think we'll hopefully come away with uh, something that God wants us to have. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. God, Lord of heaven and earth, be with us this morning. Help the message to be simple, hearts to be receptive, minds to be sharp, and all to be humble as you show us what it is just a little bit to love you. We depend on you for this morning and all our days. Amen. So, let's jump in. Uh, Matthew 22. I know we can't get away from Matthew. It's been the year of Matthew. Um, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus uh, was in one of his conversations that he had with Sadducees and Pharisees, leaders of, of uh, the religious law, and uh, picking up in 22:34, um, a Pharisee is going to pose a question to him. So 30, verse, uh, Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So loving God is mysterious. Uh, it, for me, ask the first question of why? Why love God? Like, does he, does he need to be loved? Is he, you know, uh, lonely when we don't love him? Does he feel bad? Um, it's an interesting question, also very easy to answer. Uh, no, he doesn't need it. Uh, it's very clear in Scripture. Um, in Psalm 50, uh, God talking about the sacrificial system said, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of your goats from or the, of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills interesting because the jewish system was all about this system of sacrifice there was so so many rules about this and here the psalmist just cuts through it all and says like, yes it's important for uh well for us to honor him but he had, he doesn't need it paul repeats this idea in acts 17 Speaking, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So, question asked, question answered. Do we love God because God needs it? No. He doesn't need anything. Um, so another possibility in this mysterious love of God is, is it the same thing as loving people? After all, Jesus just said that, right? You, you love the Lord your God. The second is like it. Love your neighbors, yourself. Love people. And there's some basis to this. There's some reason to think that. We see uh, Jesus many times uh, talk about the connection, the 
the almost parallel nature of loving him and loving people. In Matthew 25, uh, in the midst of a, a parable, he's talk, talking about doing good to others. That truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Pretty strong. And Peter, uh, when he had denied Christ and then Jesus died, rose from the dead, came back to Jesus. Their last conversation recorded in the Gospel of John, when Jesus restored Peter, said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And this happened three times. So there is a strong connection between, yes, you're called to love God and love people in that. However, in the totality of Scripture, in looking at all of it, there is also a lot of examples of times when people are just called to love God through worship, through listening to Him, through giving offerings, through just sitting and meditating on how good He is that stands distinct from loving other people. Um, an example of a life where this is so seen so clearly is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who not once but twice has it defended in her life when she honors God above serving. So there's one example. Remember the story. It's, it's kind of famous for Bible stories. of Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house. Martha's running around. She's serving people. She comes to Jesus. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to him, just listening to him talk. Martha comes up and says, Jesus, don't you care all that I'm doing, my sister? Lazy. Tell her to do some work. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, uh, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus could have comforted Martha. could have said, Martha, of course I care about you, but I also care about Mary. But he doesn't. He takes Mary's choice, and he lifts it above. This is it. To just sit and worship him was the one thing. Um, but Mary, not done, having her, her praise of God uh, defended in uh, near the end of Jesus' life, she was the one who came when Jesus was sitting and reclining and broke the perfume jar and poured it over Jesus' head. And one of the disciples, Judas, stood up and said, that should have been sold and given to, that money given to the poor. And we know, John tells us, that Judas didn't care about the poor. He, he was keeper of the money, so he wanted to take it. Uh, and Jesus came to Mary's defense. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Again, Jesus could have just corrected Judas. said, Judas, shut your mouth about this perfume and this money. You just want that money for yourself. But he doesn't. He defends Mary's choice to honor him above all. So while there is, it is true that people who love God will love others, we'll talk about why, um, as we go on. And you can see it in the lives of people. If you know somebody who is a real lover of people, they probably are also a real lover of God. But it is distinct. It is above to love God. Um, with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And as I've sort of been wrestling this, ministry, uh, this mystery in my head uh, in preparation for this, um, it occurred to me that in some ways, it's just kind of how it is, how it's meant to be, that we would love God. We are created, all of us, in God's image. 
hearts, minds, souls, able to think, able to feel, able to love. And we basically all direct our love to something or someone all the time. You're doing it right now. Maybe it's yourself, your family, your country, your money, your prestige, reputation, um, or God. And so when Jesus says love God, I think he's saying you're loving something. Direct that love to God. Um, but let's go back to Jesus' command here uh, in Matthew uh, 22, uh, back to verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And again, it's just we're told to do it. It is the way things are meant to be. It's sort of like, like breathing. You've been given lungs. They breathe air which is a process I can't quite explain of drawing oxygen from air, right? Doctors, medical people, we draw oxygen from air as human beings. If you tried to breathe smoke, we don't call it breathing, we say inhale, you inhale smoke. Your lung can try to do it, your lungs can try to do it, but you'll choke. Do it too long, you'll get sick, pass out, eventually die. Your lungs can't process oxygen from smoke, even though your lungs can <gasps> take in smoke. Jump in the water, try and get oxygen from the water like fish do. Again, you'll choke. You'll drown, eventually die. Your heart, your mind, your, sorry, your lungs can try to take in stuff other than oxygen from air. And your heart, your mind, your soul can try to direct its love, its, its, its highest seat to something other than God. But it will hurt you. It's not what you're made to be. This is a command. <laughs> love God. Which is... It's, it's something you can do. It's, it's, it's work, but it's not work like go mow your lawn or, you know, provide food for your loved ones. It's, it's work that happens within, heart, mind, soul. It is inner work. And this inner work is it's, it's something that we actually do all the time. Those of you who drive have probably in your life had the experience of being behind a car that is going slow when you need to be somewhere. And maybe you spot on the bumper the little the little sticker, student driver, please be patient. And if you respond correctly, you will change your mind about them. You'll remember, oh yeah, I remember the first time I was driving down the road and I was like all over the place and I was freaking out and I'm so glad people had patience with me, so maybe I'll have patience with them. You've changed your mind about them. You know, they're not driving any better, you're still gonna be late, it's what's happened within that, is, that, is, that matters. And this is where I believe Jesus is calling people to love God. In that same place where you turn how you regard something, how you're thinking about something, how you feel about something. Um, and then in verse 40, Jesus drops um, this fascinating tidbit. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, that is love God, love your neighbors. All the law, all the words of the prophets come back to these two. And you can, and some people actually have gone through the Old Testament law by law, and be like, okay, this is a loving God law, and this is a loving people law. Um, and it kind of works. Um, even the Ten Commandments, it begins with a series of, of commands that seem directed to right at God. This is how you regard God. And then it moves on to, here's how to love people. And so, we are going to sort of pause here on Matthew and Jesus' um, direction to look to the um, other commands and go look at some of the other commands. Uh, 
one in particular, going all the way back to the beginning, to the Ten Commandments, um, and we're going to look at the first two, but really just the second. So, yes. Um, so Exodus 20, Moses uh, laying down the law of, of the first commandments of God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So idolatry. Um, you don't take anything from, from this world, from the heavens, from the earth, from the, the waters, anything that we see in this natural world around us and pretend that it's God. Treat it like God. And idolatry has kind of two ways that it, it can be thought of for us here in the 21st century. There is sort of classic, typical idolatry um, still alive in much of the world today, not so much here in Western culture, uh, but around the world, there are still lots of idols. I used to live in, um, in Tokyo. I was there for several years. And there was like little altars all over the city. There's like giant temples, but then there's like little temples. They're about the size of um, ATM lobbies outside a bank. And then the altar is the size of like an ATM. And they're just on the street. And there's thousands of them. And sometimes on the same street with an ATM. And people would be walking in from, you know, going from their apartment to the train on the way into work, and they pop in to the ATM, they get some cash, go down a few more doors, pop into the altar, lift up a prayer on their train, on their way. Um, and so this is still very real in this modern world uh, that there are idols throughout. And if, you know, even though most people here are descended from those who did away with that kind of idolatry years ago, I know that for some of you it is, it is real. It's exactly where you come from. I just wanted to pause and say, you've done well to leave that behind. And if it remains a temptation, uh, we're with you in that fight. You know, it's, it, it isn't gone. It's just not common here. Um, but for many of us, the modern idol, the modern altar, was actually back at the ATM. Um, in Colossians, Paul wrote, Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And there's, there's one word between that second commandment and Paul's words in Colossians, which is the same, and it is the word earth. It is taking, idolatry is taking that of this world, anything of this world and lifting it up into God's place. And this is the summer of love. And we are talking today about the mystery of loving God. And though he does not need it, you need it. You need to not let anything of this world into God's place. It is work. It is a command. It is a way that we need to direct our minds our hearts, our souls, to live life. So with the time we have remaining, um, I want to chase a phrase through Scripture. I'm, I'm actually really pumped about the props I have on stage today. <laughs> because to my left, your right, there is a, a, a beautiful whoever made this, um, 
prop of a of like a Mars lander or a moon lander, which kind of goes out far away and it, it just sort of sees what it can find. What do the rocks tell us? What does the atmosphere tell us? And we're going to go and explore through the scriptures this phrase, heaven and earth, that was, is there back in Exodus um, where it said, do not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Chase this verse, this idea of heaven and earth um, sort of through the scriptures and see what it can tell us. Heaven and earth, it's like God's fanfare. So you know the presidential fanfare, like the da 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 When you hear that, it means you are in the presence of the President of the United States of America. Either he's walking in the room or they're already there, so you better sit up, genuflect, show some respect, because you're in the presence of someone very important. This phrase, heaven and earth, when you see it in Scripture, it's God's fanfare. It's a call to the reader, to the listener, pay attention. You're in the presence of the one, the one authority, not over the United States or anything so small, but over all. And so uh, we're going to track this phrase, heaven and earth. Uh, but before that, I want to tell one more story about Japan because I can't stop. Um, in Japan, there's um, cherry blossom season you've probably heard of. You may not have heard of plum blossom season, which happens um, in March every year. There's these um, trees, plum blossoms. They look quite a bit like cherry blossoms. I think I brought a picture. Yes, there it is. Um, they are a beautiful little flower, and they are in these massive orchards. And you go in, and the first time I ever went in one, I was just by myself very early in my time in Japan. Didn't know what I was doing. I was just watching the veterans, these very small, like little old ladies who were walking up to the trees, and they would get super close to the blossom, and they would just and I'm just watching, like, what are they doing? And it's like, all right. So I got up really close to the boss, and I'm like, and I caught the aroma of this blossom, this plum blossom. And it is like nothing else. If you've ever smelled one, you know, and if you haven't, I can't help you. Um, but it, it is just this fantastic aroma. And I stepped back from the tree, and I realized that this aroma was everywhere in the orchard, and I just hadn't noticed before. I had to like tune in to this aroma. And as we're jumping around here, uh, sort of checking in with heaven and earth, uh, just try to waft it in. What it means to love God by putting him on top, by acknowledging that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. So with that, um, with our remaining time, let's jump in at the very beginning Genesis 1.1, really, very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is as beginning as it can get. Um, when Bible authors are talking about heaven and earth, they are referring to all of this, right? They didn't have the telescopes that we have. They didn't have uh, all of the knowledge that we have. They didn't know what the sun was made of, but they could see, they could observe in their world that there was the heavens. There was this thing beyond them, the sun and the moon and the stars, and just the vastness of whatever that was up there. That's the heavens. And then there's the earth. And again, they didn't know it looked like this. They were on a tiny little corner on the other side of the earth. Um, but they knew that they existed in this space, in heaven, on earth. The uh, author of Ecclesiastes uh, will sometimes refer to life being 
quote, under the sun, which brings those ideas of heaven and earth together. That that is where we are. Everything that we do, everywhere that we go, every thought we think, every, all of our lives that we live happens here on, on earth, under heaven, under the sun, and God made it all. And he is the only thing that comes before it. Next heaven and earth. Deuteronomy 30.19. For context, this was the end of the giving of the law of Moses. So it started God and Adam, then God and Abraham, Abraham, and then God through Israel, and then the time in Egypt, and then the exodus from Egypt, and then Moses. And then they gave the law. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They're about to enter the promised land, and God calls them for one last promise to make. Israel is going to be God's nation, and God calls them to a signing ceremony, essentially. We're going to do this law together, and God says this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So on this momentous day of here, Israel, is how you are to live. You have on one side Israel. Their leaders, their priests, their scribes, their warriors, their children, their everything. And on the other side is God. And God brings to the ceremony as his witness that he has the right to do this, heaven and earth. His servants. And it is on heaven and earth that the law is put into practice. This law that they were to follow, the way that they were to live, happened on heaven and earth. It was their life under the sun, and it was his, and it was always his, and this became a problem. It was a problem throughout the time of the Israelites' uh, ups and downs, the different judges and kings and wars and and exiles, because they would turn their back on God's law. But it was a problem in the time of Jesus, and we went through that, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, that people had over time twisted and distorted the word of God and made the law their own and said, here's what I want the law to be. But it was never their law. It was God's law that we live out on heaven and earth, and he proved it because at the day when he said, you must do this, he brought as his witness heaven and earth. And it is, for those of us who are caught up on the, uh, we're doing through the Bible, uh, through the New Testament in a year, and just on Friday we we read uh, Galatians 3, where Paul talking says to the Galatians that God instituted the law to get you to Jesus, but now that Jesus has come, Jesus is above the law. His way, salvation through Jesus in faith, is above the law because God started the law, and if God wants to change how it works, it's his. I was in a, a debate, let's call it an argument, um, with, a, with a friend years ago. Uh, he was a very strict Sabbath is Saturday person. And he said to me, with a bit of sarcasm, like, well, when Jesus came, did he change, you know, all the laws or just this one? I said, well, all of them, actually. They're all under him now. Um, So God is the God of heaven and earth and above the law. Um, Next heaven and earth, Matthew 28, Great Commission. You may be familiar. This is after Jesus had died risen from the dead, appeared to his apostles, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So two things here. One, he had just risen, risen from the dead. He was standing before them. They had watched him die, some up close, some far away hiding, but they had seen him die. They knew he was dead, and now he stood before them again and may have had a question on their minds. Jesus, how did you do that? Because he stands with the Lord of heaven and earth and, in fact, had been given authority on heaven and earth, and life and death belong to heaven and earth. And he's Lord over that. And that's why he was able to stand before them, risen from the dead, because he is the Lord of, of all of it, um, over life, over death, over life again. And, and this has been a, a tough, tough, tough lesson for me to learn over the years, he is Lord of the mission. Um, I was in full-time ministry for about eight years at Campus Church in the Midwest and uh, have been in and out of different ministry roles um, in the years since. Um, and it is just an and ever a temptation to make it my own, to want to see my success, to see my results, to have people regard me the way I want to be seen. But the mission comes from God. And to love God, to put God on top of the mission, means that the results belong to him. And even a ministry ending belongs to him. A ministry apparently failing can belong to him. Um, I'm going back to Japan uh, this summer to see a lot of old friends, um, but also to an old uh, missionary friend of mine who has labored in, in Tokyo about 12 years. And he would have, he has had over the 12 years, just entire years of like one person wanted to hear the gospel. <laughs> you know, and he's, he's a very nice outgoing man who shows people just tons of love and just would have days and weeks and months with just nothing, but the mission belongs to him. If he's not in, if Jesus is not in the mission, then we're just talking and trying to get people to agree with us because we think we're better than them. It's only a righteous mission if it is Jesus's mission. And um, I know some of you, you have in your life very clear callings right now to do good in Jesus' name for various reasons. We want to help the poor in our area with food, housing, um, uh, you know, just their general state of poverty. You want to see the gospel go out to, you know, the people in our city. You want to see the gospel go around the world. To you especially, who have these very clear callings, just remember, God goes first in that. And I, I don't say that to look down on anyone. I say it because I make the mistake all the time. <laughs> to think, oh yes, now I have something great that's mine. No, without him, it's just me flapping my mouth. Um, Oswald Chambers, uh, 20th century theologian, wrote the, um, the devotional, My Utmost First Highest, uh, said this, this, yes. We must never allow anything to damage our relationship with God, that is our love for God, but if something does damage it, we must take the time to make it right again. The most important aspect of our Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship with God we maintain and the surrounding influences and qualities produced 
by that relationship. That is all God asks us to give our attention to, and it is the one thing that is continually under attack. Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the one thing that matters. And don't worry. Put your heart and your mind and your soul on loving God. You will make a difference in the world. You're not going to check out and do nothing. People who love God will love others. It's right there. Peter and Jesus. Jesus talking to the disciples. Paul, um, John, all of them were hilarious lovers of people. But God's first. The disciples knew this. Hey, let's talk about the disciples. Um, in Acts 4, we pick up the disciples putting the mission of God into work. They're, they've started sharing the gospel. They've had some early positive results. People are coming to faith, uh, and then the opposition comes. They're, they're, they're called in, hauled in before the Jewish leaders. They're threatened, told to stop, um, you know, or else. Uh, and they are released, and, it would, and they are, it would seem, somewhat shaken by this. They go, they meet together, they're like, Sharing the story, it's like, well, they threatened us. You know, they have a lot of power. They did just kill Jesus two months ago, so this is probably not an idle threat. Um, you know, and as time would go on, they would be arrested, they would be beaten, some would be killed. So this was a very real threat. And in the midst of all of this, they lifted their voices to, together in prayer to God in Acts 4:24 and said, "Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and everything in them." You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. Your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What an exceptional, the uh, encouraging prayer. I love it because I, I think they were worried. I think they were scared. I think they were overwhelmed by what God had given them to do. And they go to God and they first acknowledge the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who gave them the mission, the one who gave the law, the one who rules over everything we do. Then they encourage themselves with some scripture. They recount the trials that they have encountered. And then they ask God what they need, for what they need. And they move on. And they do. They, they, well, they change the world. Here we are on the ends of the earth, the other side of the world from, from where they prayed that 2,000 years ago, talking about Jesus, so that the prayer came through. Um, and then the last heaven and earth, literally the last heaven and earth, uh, is in Revelation 21.1. Um, Revelation, an unusual book compared to other books of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with it, it, it is a, a vision, a prophecy that was given to anything John, the Apostle John, um, about the end of the world uh, and, and everything that would happen. Uh, you know, the trump shall resound, the Lord appear, like all of that that we, you know, uh, uh, talk about. And Revelation is 22 chapters long, but the world ends in chapter 20. Um, and then in 21.1, we get this verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
God started it. All of this. And someday God's going to end all of this. But, he told his disciples, even before he went to the cross, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. He goes on. And the work done in his name, in his way, through his power goes on. And so for those who recognize and put God first, there is value to be done even though this world is passing away. Um, Shannon was praying earlier about the, um, the war in, in Ukraine and just everything that's happening in the world, on earth, right now. And there, you could have an attitude of like, well, it's all passing away. What's the big deal? I mean, you know, Ukraine is just some some dirt, some soil, some, some rocks upon the ground. It's a little line that, that Russia and Ukraine are arguing over on a map that's not going to exist someday, on a world earth that's not going to exist someday. And that's kind of true. We are not to live our lives to make earth exactly what we want it to be. But we are called to still engage in love, in Jesus' way. One of my um, oldest friends, he was my, my, my uh, youth pastor when I was in high school, uh, he's in his 60s now. And right after the war broke out, he'd done missionary work in Kiev, uh, in Romania, in Russia. And in the midst of COVID, in the midst of being 60, um, which, sorry, I'm 46, that sounds old to me, to go <laughs> flying around the world, but he, he, yeah, I know that's trivial to some of you, but um, he got on a plane with, like, boxes of supplies and flew to Romania and started handing them out. A person who puts God first doesn't disengage from the world. They can fly right into the danger, because God is above. Um, I remember a story he told me when I was first getting to know him very young. We were, we were driving from Seattle to Mexico, and he, we were, he's like, you know, so it's like, he's like, life, it's like you can, you, can, you can do it just like this drive. You can take Interstate 5 if you want to be a coward about it, or you can take 101, or you can drive Highway 1. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, it's like, I, don't, I may not like driving Highway 1, but I think that's how God wants us to live. It's like the one with the cliff where you fall into the ocean. It's like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And, and yet there he is living it. You know, oh, is there a war in Ukraine? Well, I should go there with a box of supplies to love people because God's word, God's call to be generous and compassionate and merciful is higher than the war. It doesn't make him disengage. It made him engage freely in Jesus' name. So, let's put these up. Let's get this list up on the board here. Lord of heaven and earth. Yes. It's a mighty list. Um, it's Lord over the beginning. Lord over how we live and die. Lord over our pain and suffering. Lord over our ministry. Lord over the end. Um, when I look at this list, I am struck with the thought that uh, I don't do this. I fall short. And if we go all the way back to what Jesus said, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, this is a command. Love God. And if it's a command that I have failed, then I have sinned. Which is actually good news, because if I've sinned, then I can repent and come, come back. And if you're here this morning, and any of this, or any of the other many, many times in, in, in life where we are called in the scriptures to put God above all, and in front of all, and you're like, I, I'm not doing that. Good news. You can repent. 
Just like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the prodigal son. He came home. We can come home to putting God first. Um, so, that's really it. Um, I hope that the time has been encouraging or stimulating as we you know, try to waft in you know, what it means to love God by putting him first. There's, there's more, you know, all the law and the prophets come back to this idea of loving God and loving others. There's many, many more, but I do hope that as you take this and, and, and think about it and pray about it, and maybe in years to come or reading through this book and you see that phrase, heaven and earth, you'll stop and think about why now? Why is the author here telling me to, to take notice that the Lord of all, who is in all and above all and in front of all, why is that being highlighted here? What do I need to do to put him in front of whatever else this is talking about. Um, so, let me pray, and we'll do what's next. Lord of heaven and earth, this is your world, and we, we just exist in it. We live our lives day by day in this world that you made, following laws that you gave, and the power of, as we accomplish missions that you've given through the power that you share with us, truly without you, we could do nothing. As your son said, as you said, Jesus, through, without you, we can do nothing because this is all yours. And so we turn to you uh, today. We turn to you in the weeks and the months ahead um, and the years ahead, however much time you give us here on earth under the sun. Uh, to live our lives, we pray that you would hold us close, keep us humble, and um, trust in you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.